please find your way to the book of Luke. We're continuing our study in Luke 1 and 2. And we'll read some of those verses in the second part of the chapter in just a few minutes. This series is called Canicles. And if you weren't here last week, you may be wondering, what on earth is a canicle? A canicle is a song or poem found in the Bible, but found somewhere else other than the book of Psalms. Because we have a book of Psalms, we have 150 songs. But these are poems or songs that are found somewhere else in the Bible. And we call them canicles. And in these first two chapters of the book of Luke, we have four of them. And I have a little chart I showed you last week, uh, and we have it again today. The speakers of these poems or songs are Mary, Zacharias, the angels, and Simeon. And we know them by their first line or by their speaker. Last week we did Mary's song, which is commonly called by the Latin word, Magnificat. And then this one is called the Benedictus, which is the first word in Latin. But we will call it, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. So the song or poem of Zacharias, I can very accurately call it a prophecy of Zacharias, occurs from verses 68 to 79 of this first chapter. And that's what I'm going to read in just a moment. Next week, Lord willing, we will be studying the Gloria. We sang it a few minutes ago. Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. That's what the angels said to the shepherds. We'll look at that next week. And then we'll look at Simeon and Anna, Lord willing, on Christmas Day, two weeks from today. Hopefully you've had a chance to find your place. Would you stand with me? And rather than read the entire passage... I'm going to read just his song. So I'm going to begin in verse 67 and follow that almost to the end of the chapter. Now his father, that's John's father, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, now he's talking to John, his son, will be called the prophet of the highest. And you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we are so grateful to have your word We have a word from you this morning, and we get to read it in our own language. And for that, I'm thankful, Lord. I pray that you would empower me by your spirit to teach this accurately and clearly this morning. And Lord, that each person here, from the oldest to the youngest, would know that you are speaking by your Holy Spirit. You would give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to change, to respond to what you show us from your word this morning. So please accomplish your purposes in us, and may we rejoice in the understanding that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I have an outline to offer you. If that is helpful to you, then feel free to jot it down, but at least know where we're going here. The outline would include the birth of John the Baptist. That's where we left off in the story last time. So we have the birth of John the Baptist, his birthday. That's verses 57 to 66, followed by the prophecy of Zacharias, his father, Elizabeth's husband. That's verses 67 to 79. And then there's one verse here at the end of what we have as chapter 1 that talks about the preparation of John the Baptist, getting him ready for ministry. What was he doing? He was growing. He was out in the wilderness by himself. We'll talk about that when we get there. One overriding point, overarching point, if you don't get anything else I say today, please get this. God, in his mercy, has saved us. You're going to see the word mercy three times in this passage. You're going to see the word saved or salvation twice in this passage. And God, in his mercy, has provided salvation to us, and he did it through his son, Jesus. We're going to work our way, verse by verse, from verse 57 to the end of the chapter. So go back up to that verse, please. This is verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now the culture, the customs were different at that time. It would have been common for, okay, the baby's coming. Maybe her water broke. They know the baby's coming. She's in labor. And so she's in the bedroom of the house. And instead of going to the hospital for the baby to be born, they were right there in the house, and the friends and neighbors would come over. And they'd be having a little party. Even musicians sometimes would come. They'd be having a party or preparing for a party while she is in labor. And she had a boy. I like the way the scripture has it. She was delivered. The time came, the time was fulfilled for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. Not a surprise to us. We've read the chapter. Not a surprise to Elizabeth and Zacharias because the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zacharias and said, you're going to have a son. So they knew this is a son and everybody was excited. It says when her neighbors and relatives heard, they rejoiced with her. What were they rejoicing at? That God had kept his promise that she would have a son. And how did they know? How did they hear? Well, for those of you who weren't here last week, the angel appeared to Zacharias in the temple and he didn't believe. And the sign to him, and a little bit of a, a scolding for his unbelief, is that he couldn't talk. He was mute. He could not speak at all for over nine months till the baby arrived. So we know Zacharias didn't tell him. Likely she did. Because we have back in verse 25, if you want to look back a page or look up a page, Luke one twenty five says, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She was telling him. Likely, Zacharias would have had to write stuff down to communicate to her, I saw an angel. Here's what he said. We're going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. We're supposed to call him John because that's his name. All that had happened. They'd had nine months for him to communicate that the best he could without being able to speak. And what did they hear? What had she communicated? That the Lord had shown great, what's the next word? The Lord had shown great mercy. The Lord had shown great mercy. What is mercy? If we're going to talk about mercy, God has shown mercy by sending Jesus as the Savior, we should know what mercy is. If I'm saying that it comes up three times in this, this section, we should know what it is. 
Someone defined it this way, compassionate treatment of those in distress, taking care of a need, seeing a need, meeting a need out of love and compassion. That distress, that need could be caused by the guilt associated with sin, or it could be a physical condition, a debilitating sickness. And the terms mercy and grace, as we read them in the Bible, they often come up together, and they're similar, they're related, but they're not the same thing. So here's a a quick way to describe them. I've shared this with you before. You've probably seen it somewhere along the line. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Well, what does that look like in terms of salvation? Romans 3 tells us that the penalty for sin, the wages of sin, what I earn by my sin is what? Death. And by death, not just I keel over, my heart stops beating, but separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. God said, here are the rules. When you break the rules, think the Ten Commandments just for the sake of discussion. When you break these, you are sinning. You are breaking my law. You are breaking my commandment. The penalty for that is separation from me forever. And we've all done that. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all broken his rules. So his mercy is that he sent Jesus to be our savior. He does not give us what we deserve if we have believed on his son. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But that's mercy. He didn't give us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Punishment for our sin. Separation from him eternally in hell. But grace is the other side of that coin. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Eternal life in heaven with him. I didn't earn that. I can't earn that. But he gave it to me. It's a free gift of salvation. I believe on him, and he counts me as righteous. That's his grace. That's his favor. That's his gift. So one person said it this way. Mercy is forgiving the sinner and withholding the punishment that is justly due. Grace is heaping undeserved blessings on the sinner. I liked that. And so what's their response? She is telling them God has been merciful, and they rejoice with her. That's a common theme, people rejoicing at the coming of Jesus as we read these early chapters of Luke. This is also a fulfillment of prophecy because verse 14 that we read last week says, and you, Zacharias, this is the the words of the angel Gabriel speaking to him, you, Zacharias, will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Here it is. There are many rejoicing at his birth. And to this day, we are rejoicing that God sent the forerunner John the Baptist and sent his son, Jesus. Verse 59, back to John the Baptist. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. Now, they were obeying the command of the Lord. God began in his covenant with Abraham. He said, on the eighth day after birth, boys should be circumcised. And then it's repeated in the law, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12. On the eighth day, baby boys are supposed to be circumcised. And we talked about that back when we studied Genesis. It had been customary, it had become a custom by this point, also to name the child, to announce publicly this is what the child's name is on that eighth day when you go to the temple and have the the circumcision and everything else. And the custom of that time was also to keep names in the family. And we sometimes do this today. We have a junior or a third or a fourth or whatever. Most common at that time, if you remember, Peter's name was Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. So they often just took two names and alternated them. Simon, Bar-Jonah, Jonah, Bar-Simon, Simon, Bar-Jonah. And that made it really easy. You could tell which generation it was by which version of the name it was. So when we got to this point, 
the people who are gathering together, the family members, the friends, are pressuring Zacharias and Elizabeth, you need to name him after Zacharias. Remember, Zacharias is old. How old? We don't know exactly. But not just old, it's, he's elderly, he's aged, he's advanced in years. We talked about that. He and Elizabeth, that's what made this such a miracle, that they were old. And God granted them a child. So maybe because of that, here you are in your 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe, and I think you just name him after yourself. Zach Jr. Doesn't that sound good? That's what y'all should do. Zach Jr. Verse 59, continuing, and they would have called him, they, the family members, the, the ones gathered around, would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Let's talk about that paragraph. She knew because her husband had told her his name is John. That's what Gabriel said to call him. Everything's been happening the way God predicted it. He keeps his promises. We're going to call him John. And this is a little bit confusing a little bit funny i think that the the priests and whoever else is there they're making signs to zacharias now what does the scripture tell us what does luke a doctor tell us that he can't speak could he have been deaf yes i'll talk about that more in a second but all the scripture tells us is he couldn't talk but they're making signs and maybe they're writing stuff down for him trying to communicate with him and maybe he's thinking guys i'm not deaf i just can't talk back to you that could be it that he wasn't deaf. It's also possible that he was deaf. And, and here's why some Bible scholars think that. Otherwise, they would have just said to him, why on earth are you calling him John? What's, what's his name supposed to be is what they were asking him. And the fact that they were amazed in verse 63, they're assuming that he's deaf, and maybe he really was deaf, and yet he has the same answer. And they're amazed by that. They're marveling. They can't believe. What, where did you ever come up with John. If you can find somebody named John in the Old Testament, please let me know afterward. Because this seems to be the first person who was named John in the Bible. And it was certainly the first person in their family in the times they could remember of anybody being named John. He says in response, and he wrote it, and some people suggested that he may have written, guys, I'm not deaf, but his name is John. And he doesn't say, we're going to call him John. He doesn't even say his name will be John. He says his name is John. Why does that matter? Because Gabriel already told him, this child has been named since before he was conceived. God said through Gabriel, his name is John. And Zechariah is agreeing with the Lord, which is always a smart thing to do. His name is John. You know what the name John means? It means God is gracious. So here's this elderly couple thought they would never have children. And as we talked about last week, he came, it was his time to be in the temple and the lot fell out for him to go burn incense, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And he gets there and the angel's there and he interacts with Gabriel who says, your prayers have been answered. What prayers? Possibly prayers that they'd prayed decades earlier to have a son and they never would have thought that God would answer that prayer and he did. In their old age, he answered their prayer, worked miraculously so that they could have a child, and they're naming him John. God is 
gracious. Verse 64. Immediately, Zacharias' mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. So if you had not been able to speak for nine months or more, what would you have said? I would have been tempted probably to complain. This has been the hardest nine months of my life. I've wanted to tell people what I was thinking and I haven't been able to tell anybody anything. Maybe that's what you would have thought. Maybe you would have called a press conference so that you could tell everybody, I saw an angel and here's what he said to me in hopes that someone will give you the book rights and the movie rights. You can make a fortune off this. But what does he do? What does, look at your text. What does it say? Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke doing what? Praising God. After nine months, he is praising God. We'll see what he said in a few verses. Verse 65 is the response. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. How did news spread? They didn't have the news media. They didn't have social media. It was all word of mouth. And they, he, this family was the talk of the town, the talk of the surrounding country. And they're talking about, did you hear about Zacharias and Elizabeth? Oh, yeah, she's, she's barren. They're, they're kind of old. She just had a baby. No, get out. Really? And they're talking about it. And they named him a name that's not even in their family. They broke all tradition, all custom. It's really kind of crazy. And I think, well, what? And he, he saw an angel, by the way. Zacharias saw an angel. So they, they're talking about all the news, all the story, all the hubbub. And so the people are responding in fear. This is, this is amazing. What kind of child is this going to be? Which is a good question because... John grows up to be a rather strange person by our standards. And they're saying, what kind of person is this going to be? Everybody's talking about him. Now his father, Zacharias, verse 67 tells us, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, we'll get to it, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. As we read in Luke's gospel, every time somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be an enunciation of praise. There's going to be praise to God. That person's going to speak about God's goodness, about his grace, about his mercy, about his kindness. And what's neat is that we haven't heard that anybody was filled with the Spirit in at least 400 years. We don't feel, hear about it often, don't read about it often in the Old Testament. It was a temporary indwelling for empowerment. We read about that for Samson or, and, and for Gideon, for Saul. But these are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the first three people who are mentioned who are filled with the Holy Spirit are this little family. Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John, not in that order. Verse 15, when Gabriel was talking to Zacharias, he said, he, that is John, will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He prophesied. We just read that word, okay, yeah, that's good. He spoke for the Lord or he, he predicted things in the future. He does both there. But we just read that word and don't think much. There had not been a word from the Lord for 400 years. And now we're reading that the Lord is speaking again. First, he sent 
Gabriel, the angel, then Elizabeth, then Mary, and now Zacharias. So when God begins to speak again after this 400 years of silence, what is he talking about? What is he having people tell about? The Messiah, the coming one. We learned his name last week, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's prophesying. And now we get into what we refer to as the Benedictus. This is the blessing. Like what we looked at last week with Mary, there are lots of allusions to the Old Testament throughout his speech. And by way of review, those of you here who were here last week, you understand that Zacharias got his moment to go into the temple and he was supposed to burn incense, he was supposed to offer a prayer, he was supposed to come back out and do what? Anybody remember? He's supposed to offer a blessing to the people. He was supposed to pray for the people, offer them a blessing. So after nine months, the first time he can speak again, what does he say? In English, what is the first word we have here? Blessed or blessed. This is it. This is the benediction we've all been waiting nine, ten months for. This is what he says. A blessing on the people of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, because he's filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want some human proof that this guy is filled with the Holy Spirit, here it is. If you're there at the ceremony where you are giving the name to your son that you've waited all your life for, you're well advanced in years, here's your son. I imagine that he was holding him in his arms. Eight days old, this baby boy, his name is John, and I want to tell you all about him. Wouldn't you be talking about John? I would be talking about John. Who does he start talking about? Not John. He starts talking about Jesus. He starts talking about the Messiah who's coming. He, gets, he does eventually talk a little bit about John. But that shows us this is coming straight from God. This is stuff that he couldn't have known and probably wouldn't have talked about right at that moment. I found Warren Wiersbe's commentary very helpful. He gives us a little outline of this section. And he says that there are four beautiful pictures of what the coming of Jesus Christ to earth really means for us. And we'll go through them as we go through this passage. The opening of a prison door, the winning of a battle, the canceling of a debt, and the dawning of a new day. Each one of those is one, two, three verses, give or take. And you can see it there on the screen. So we're going to start by talking about the opening of a prison door in verse 68. He says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Why? For he has visited and redeemed his people. When it says visited, and we'll see that word one more time in verse 78, visited, it means he's come to help us. He sees that we have a problem and he's come to do something about it. So he has visited, and not just visited, but he's also redeemed his people. What does that word redeemed mean? It means to set free by paying a price, like a ransom. So someone is being held ransom and Someone comes to pay that price to have that prisoner released. That's the picture here. Releasing a prisoner or liberating a slave. And that is what Jesus did. If we were to continue our study in the book of Luke, we would get to chapter 4 and we would read about this one who provides deliverance to the captives. Those who are in bondage to sin, he is setting them free. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. 
That's the opening of a prison door, releasing the prisoner, releasing the slave. Second, the winning of a battle. This is a little bit longer section, starting in verse 69. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That's one of the places that salvation appears in this. In the house of his servant David, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that, he, that we should be saved from our enemies. There it is again, saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Continue to talk about God and what he has done in sending John and eventually Jesus when it says horn of salvation, a horn in their thinking back then, animals with horns, a bull, for example, that was a sign of strength. It would be more like us talking about, I don't know, a tomahawk missile or an atomic bomb or, or some weapon that can do great damage, something that gives strength to a military. That's the idea. And he has come in strength. Wiersbe says the picture here is that of an army about to be taken captive, but then help arrives. The cavalry's on its way, the reinforcements are here, and the enemy is defeated. So in the previous pictures, the captives were set free, but now in this picture, the enemy is defeated so that he cannot capture any more prisoners. That's what Jesus did when he came. We've been studying in Mark, haven't we? He was able to overcome the temptation that Satan brought his way, and he was able to overcome Satan's demons and cast them out and tell them what to do and where to go. And he did it over and over because he was doing it in the power of God who created those angels who chose to rebel. Talks about the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. That goes all the way back to early in the book of Genesis. We read about Abraham in chapters 12 through 20-something. And we read about promises. That's what the word covenant means. Promises that God made to Abraham promises that through him, through his seed, he didn't have any children yet, by the way, through his offspring, his descendants, everyone in the entire world would be blessed. This is it. This is the fulfillment. This is God keeping his promise to Abraham centuries later. He keeps his promises. And this promise was to provide someone didn't know his name yet, didn't know anything about him. We find out in this chapter of Luke, his name's going to be Jesus. He's God's son. He's the son of the highest. He is the one who is going to fulfill the promises, the oath made to our father, Abraham. Now, isn't this amazing? Zacharias didn't know Jesus yet. Jesus isn't going to be born for another six months or so. And yet he's praising him. Those of us in the room, I'm looking at the eyes of some people who know Jesus. You know him as your savior. Know him as friend and elder brother and all the titles of the word of God. Are you praising him? Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He praises Jesus, whom he hasn't met, who hasn't been born yet. Well, he's been born and he grew up and he died on the cross and he rose again. Are you praising him? Next, Zacharias is addressing his son for these few verses. And he's going to talk about his purpose as a prophet of God, the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
So this is our third section here, the canceling of a debt. Verse 76, and you, child. So he's, he's talking to his boy now, John. You will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Here, John is called the prophet of the highest. Back last week in our passage, earlier, earlier in this chapter, Jesus was called the son of the highest. This is the prophet of the highest. And what's he going to do? He's going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Well, again, we could look earlier in the chapter. If you look at verse 17, it says, he will also go before him. John will also go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What is John going to do? One of his job requirements is going to be to give knowledge of salvation to his people. To proclaim salvation to God's people. What is the message? Salvation from sin. We were reading John 1 earlier for our scripture reading. When John saw Jesus, John 1.29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and what did he say? Behold, everybody, Pay attention, look. This is the Lamb of God. And do you know what he's going to do? He's going to take away the sin of the world. He's going to take the sin of the world on himself. He's going to provide salvation to us. This is the Lamb of God. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. That's the prophet of the Most High. And I think he did his job really well. This is... This is his father's prophecy of what he'd do. He's going to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Salvation to his people, how? By the remission of their sins. Now, that's a word we probably haven't used this week, right? Remission. Maybe. <laughs> we use it in terms of cancer now, don't we? That's good news to, to be in remission. Well, this is good news too. Remission in this context means to dis dismiss a debt. What's our debt? Well, we already talked about the wages of sin is death. What do I owe? My life. I've sinned against God, and my life has to go for that. Somebody's life has to go for that. And he's saying, I am canceling your debt. See, we're, we're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer. Old Testament says, my best, my righteous works, garbage. That's what the Bible tells us. So I have nothing to offer. I am spiritually bankrupt. And what did he do? He said, paid in full. We talked about it at Easter, didn't we? To Palestine. Paid in full. Your debt is paid. You are released. You are not going to debtor's prison. You are coming home with me. That's what God did in Jesus. Jesus came and paid our debt. We have one more picture to look at. It's the dawning of a new day. Verse 78 through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love that statement at the beginning of verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God. It's telling us this is the cause. This is the reason. This is the motivation for this salvation plan that's being enacted. Because of the tender mercy, the compassion, the love 
of our God. And what is he sending? The day spring from on high has, there's that word again, visited us, come to help us. The day spring from on high. Well, that's an unusual phrase. It's coming from Malachi 4.2. It means the sunrise, the day spring, the sunrise. Malachi 4.2 starts this way. But to you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Healing is coming. Next week, I believe, we're planning to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we get to that last stanza, and you're thinking, that's a typo, the sun of righteousness. What is that? That's from this passage. The sun, S-U-N, of righteousness is coming with healing in his wings. That's the picture that we have in this prophecy. He's saying, this is the fulfillment of Malachi. This one who's coming from on high, the day spring from on high. To extend that illustration a little bit, there is often a morning star that's seen before the sun comes up, right? At different times of year, it may be a planet, maybe a star, but it's referred to as the morning star. Well, that's what John the Baptist is, is. He is the forerunner. He is the sign, the symbol. Hey, everybody, the day is about to dawn. And who is the day spring? Who is the, the one who is coming? It's the sunrise. Jesus, that's S-O-N, the sun is about to rise. So it means sunrise. The people who were in darkness and in death are about to see a great light. That's what Matthew 4.16 says. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and those and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. He is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And Zacharias is prophesying about his son. You are going to pave the way. You are going to get it ready because the sunrise is coming. And his name is Jesus. Verse 80 gives us a little, very brief account of John. What was he like as a child? How often did his parents have to say, don't eat that bug? Take that out of your mouth. It says here, oh, let me read it first. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Did most kids, as soon as they were old enough to fend for themselves, go out in the desert back then? I don't think so. Is that what your kids do now? I, you may wish on occasion, but no, they don't. They don't. That's abnormal now and would, would have been abnormal then. But as he grew, it says he became strong in spirit. So in his inner man, as he was growing, God was ministering to him and giving him strength. And the Holy Spirit was guiding him. He was going to be and was spirit-filled from his mother's womb. So he's being shown what to do. And he goes out in the desert. He hears from God. There's a special mission for him. And he adopts some of the characteristics of Elijah, being out in the wilderness and, and wearing that camel hair and that leather belt. And eating locusts and honey. And I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but he was playing the part the way he was instructed to do by the Holy Spirit so that he would get everybody's attention so that on the day when he could say, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. It was all leading to that. And he said it more than once, probably. He, he kept saying it, and, and Jesus came to be baptized. So that was his job, and he did it. God the Father had a specific job, and he sent Gabriel to tell Zacharias, you and Elizabeth are really old, but you're going to have a baby. And that happened, and his name's going to be John. That means God's gracious. And he's going to be the one who paves the way and gets everybody ready for my boy to come, who's going to rescue everybody 
the remission of sins, eternal life. God, in his mercy, has saved us. He's done it by his grace and by his mercy. I'm going to close with this passage, one that I love from Ephesians 2. You can turn there if you'd like to. Ephesians 2 talks about what a wretched condition we're in. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's a true statement biblically. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are far off. And then we get to those beautiful words, but God. Even though I was spiritually dead, although I was far away from him, although I was wandering away, running away from him, but God, who is rich in, what's the next word? Mercy. Same word we have three times in this passage. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, we were dead in sin, he made us alive. He resurrected us together with Christ. And then in parentheses, by grace you have been saved. It's all his grace. It's all his pouring out his gifts on us. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And these verses that you probably know, for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. What is the gift of God? I, many of you celebrate Christmas. Many of you are going to exchange gifts. You're gonna, you may already have gifts under your tree. And that's great. But please remember, salvation is the gift of God. That is the most important gift we could talk about today or in this season or on Christmas Day. Salvation is the gift of God. It is not by works. I cannot earn it. I cannot do enough good. I cannot stop doing enough bad. It is his gift to us and came in the form of a baby. We get to talk about him next week. We get to talk about Bethlehem and why they were there. And while they were there, the days were accomplished that Mary should be delivered. He is good. And he shows us mercy by bringing us salvation. God is rich in mercy, and he sent Jesus to rescue us from the penalties of sin and from the power of sin. Have you accepted that free gift? If you have, Zacharias, who hadn't met Jesus yet, was praising him. Are you praising him? Are you telling others about him? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something in response to this passage that we have been working our way through this morning, would you obey? There could be somebody here in the room. There could be somebody online, child, adult. You don't know whether you're saved. You've never come to that point that you've accepted this free gift of salvation. You can do that today. What does that look like? That means that I agree with God that I'm a sinner. And I agree with God that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. If that describes you this morning, if there's somebody here that you're making that decision, you are putting your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, would you let me know that? Would you slip your hand up and put it back down? Is there anybody? Christians, are you praising him? 
That was Zacharias' first words. That was his response when he was able to talk again. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to prophesy. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that you? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you speaking for God? Are you sharing the good news with others? If you would say, no, I'm, I'm really not. I haven't even thought about it this week or this month or this year. But I want to. And I believe the Holy Spirit is leading me. I need to talk to somebody today. I need to talk to somebody this week. I need to be praising God. I need to be sharing the good news. If that describes you, would you slip your hand up and put it back down? Anybody? Yes? Yes? Our Father, more important than hands, you can see into hearts. And I pray that you would meet the spiritual need of any and all people here, even those who are joining us online, that you would minister your word to our hearts, that you would minister your grace to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are burdened for loved ones, for friends, or simply anybody they meet to tell somebody about you. Give us the strength to do that. Give us the grace to do that. Enable our weakness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.